Welcome to The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Becky Scher. And I'm Michael Broadcorp. We're happy to be joined in this episode by former state senator Michelle Benson from Ham Lake, Minnesota. During her 12 years of service at the Minnesota Senate, Benson served in multiple leadership roles as both an assistant minority leader and deputy majority leader. Senator Benson also chaired the Health and Human Services Finance Policy Finance and Policy Committee. In 2022, she was a candidate to run for governor of Minnesota. We'll end this episode with a food fight with Broadcorp and Becky, where we will debate our different takes on foods. And in this episode, we will debate our top five candies of the week and, of course, end with Tweet of the Week. We're excited for you to join us, and we hope you will enjoy this week's episode. Well, we didn't record last week, Becky. We took a break off last week because... I was hit by a car, which I'm not going to get into too much on this episode right now, other than to say I'm resting, I'm recuperating, and at my home in Egan, I'm incredibly appreciative to my family and friends for their work and their support over the last the last nearly two weeks since it happened. I'm thankful to you, Becky, for your support and, and helpful in pulling this podcast together. It was important to do this. We're recording remotely. We're going to be recording remotely for the foreseeable future as I continue to work through the effects of the car crash. I'm not going to get into too much specifics about what happened right now because of some of the ongoing legal issues, but I wanted to address it from the beginning and, and thank all of the the listeners and friends and family for all their support. I'm excited to, to get back doing the podcast. It's important to, even as I'm slowly kind of reinserting myself back into some stuff that we have a little sense of normalcy. And, and this podcast is something that I've missed doing. I've missed doing the last week, but I've enjoyed doing with you and I'm glad to be back doing it. Well, we're, we're glad you're back. We're glad you're okay and recovering and, and making sure you're taking time for yourself to do so. And um, we'll take this at, at whatever pace we need to and, and most certainly uh, just focused on getting you back to, to fighting shape. That's great. Well, thank you so much again. We are excited to be joined here today by Senator Michelle Benson. Um, I had the privilege of meeting Senator Benson uh, when I started at the state capitol back in 2011, and the senator was entering her freshman year as well. And I just want to start out here, Senator, with, uh, well, first, welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to just intro you with a, a brief little story that is one of my favorite parts about you. You started um, your freshman year, you were pregnant, you had a baby, and you were back at work, what, four or five days later. Um, Uh, I think it was a... Yes, C-section Friday and then HHS vote on Monday. So I owed it to my team. Incredible. I mean, it's absolutely, as a new mom, I am just absolutely blown away by your dedication to to your constituents, to the state. Um, and just want to give a little nod to you um, were able to have a nursery across the hall from your office. I know myself and, and some of my friends that we worked, you know, loved coming down to see baby Claire um, and visit her and you down there. But can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, how you entered your freshman year and how that really was being a mom, a working mom, having your baby there and still serving serving your district. Sure. And and when I ran, it was because I saw a federal takeover of healthcare and, and it became so much more because one of the great things about door knocking, you meet people and you hear their stories and you learn to carry that in your heart. One of the great blessings of public service. It's also a burden. It takes a lot out of you to carry those stories. 
but um, fortunately we had good leadership uh, at the Senate at the time who said, you can have an intern or a nursery, you choose. And so instead of having an intern in that little office, I got to have a little nursery and um, my husband took that first week off of work and I would carry um, baby Claire everywhere that I could. She was not allowed on the Senate floor. Um, so when we were having long floor votes, my mom would be there and she would bring Claire and I would step into the bathroom and nurse. There are actually nursing places now, but it was it was a little more convenient to just stay close to vote because unlike the House, senators can't have someone else vote for them. And so um, as we were structured at the time, I needed to be close to the floor. Um, another advantage, um, people got to remember me very well. So it helped with some some name recall, uh, but it also, it, it changed my family. It changed the way we thought about the Capitol and the relationships that we had with people in St. Paul. Um, so I told the story in my retirement speech about how Don Marty was the first senator who wasn't me to hold baby Claire. And that, it makes me tear up every time I think of it. And so while Senator Marty and I had really strong disagreements on a lot of issues, we had that bond, that kindness. I knew that he cared about me as a person, even if we disagreed on policy. But when the Capitol was being reconstructed, my then about two-year-old, as we were driving by, she said, Mom, what are they doing to my Capitol? And she still remembers the door that was her door that she got to go in as a baby. So there were some really sweet memories and good relationships that came out of that introduction of the Capitol. Well, I know it's it's just incredible to see. I mean, that is truly a testament to you and your dedication and, and just the strength of who you are um, to be able to do that. So, um, I mean, it's one of my favorite memories and and truly, you know, appreciative of, of you doing that. And I will tell you, I would not recommend it, but if you can take the baby with you and you can get out of, you know, running stairs at home because there are elevators at work, you, know, you can you can make it work. My doctor said, I don't want you lifting laundry baskets or doing stairs. And I said, oh, I assure you. I will not be lifting laundry baskets or running up and down stairs. They let me go to work. Um, so you did serve for about 12 years, um, were chair and um, served um, as a leader in the healthcare field and, and the Health and Human Services Committee. You want to talk a little bit about your time at the legislature, some of the things that you did and, and you know, kind of your observation and insights to what is going on now. Well, and going into the Wayback Machine, if you remember the Affordable Care Act, came in in 2011, the Dayton administration started working on it. And then in 2013, when the Democrats once again had the trifecta, they went all in. We were the only state in the nation that had the basic health plan that had an individual exchange. Um, and so we were all in on the Affordable Care Act. And that computer system, the MNSER exchange, failed over and over and over and over again. And we kept saying, this is not how this is supposed to work. If you had listened, um, you wouldn't be having these problems right now. And it took a while for the media to actually believe us. And it took a while for, frankly, the Dayton administration. But once that veneer was pierced, it became obvious. Commissioner Jessen, I remember when she called me and said, everything you said was true. And I said, well, thank you. I, you know, I like to deal in truth. And then we could start working together on a solution um, because while you can wear a partisan hat and you can attack people who are partisan, um, in the end, you have to come up with solutions. 
And so we started working on reforms and getting the right leadership in place at Minster. It's working better. I still think it's expensive and not something that I would have chosen to do. But if we're going to have something, it needs to work. And as I look forward now at this trifecta, I am very concerned that they're not taking some pauses on things like paid family leave, on things like this massive government takeover of healthcare, everything from pharmaceuticals to dentistry to, frankly, getting rid of our health plans and going to a fee for, going back to a fee-for-service model for medical assistance. They are going to destroy our nation-leading healthcare system because they won't take a pause. And so I would hope that some of those folks who were there for MNSFR and learned those hard lessons would be voices in the room because they're not going to say it publicly, but let's hope there's some voices in the room saying, ah, guys, let's, let's take a pause. There are voices with sincere hope for good for Minnesota who are pointing out problems. This is where, this is where the loyal minority needs to be listened to. And we got a lot of new people in St. Paul, but there are some experienced members that loyal minority who says, look, this is a problem. They come into your office and they say, this isn't partisan. I'm not going to chew you out on the floor, but this doesn't actually work. These numbers don't make sense. You need to listen to those voices or you're going to end up in a world of hurt in about two years. Do you think some of that relationships of, of working across party lines has has changed since since you first started? I, I would absolutely um, say things have become much more divided. And I was very partisan. Um, and I think I left being pretty partisan. I think Tina Liebling would say, you are a Republican, but at least you dealt in fact uh, that you can stand for your principles, but you also need to be where the facts are. And you need to make your argument in a place that moves the needle, not just standing and screaming at one another. I see a lot of standing and yelling and not a lot of listening. And Minnesota is going to be worse off for it. I think social media contributes to it. Um, I think the immediate turnaround of very loud voices contributes to that. And I think COVID and some of the distance voting contributed to it as well, because you don't have to be face to face with someone. Like I sat next to John Marty and I knew if I said something mean to him, I was going to have to face him in the hallway and in our offices. And so I think some social media contributed to it. I think the distance voting contributes to it. And frankly, there aren't many Democrats in rural Minnesota and there aren't many Republicans in the close-in suburbs. And so you don't have commonality of experience that um, helps people function in the legislature. One thing you uh, had brought up um, just a bit ago was paid family leave. This is something the Senate just passed yesterday, um, earlier this week, and uh, something that still obviously ultimately needs to be um, ironed out of of what the specifics are going to look like. It looks like it will come forward in some way. Governor Walls has said that he is going to sign it. Um, I'd be interested to get your take. Obviously, this is a payroll tax or funded by a payroll tax. Um which in my my reading and understanding of things ultimately gets passed along to the worker. Um, it's going to have to require, you know, 400, 500 new um, state employees to be able to manage the program. What are your thoughts on this, the cost and how it's going to, to come down? On so many issues to cover here. First of all, this is one of the most extreme in the country, one of the most generous, um, the left would say, in the country. So we're looking at 24 weeks of leave. 
that's more than New York. New York has something that looks more like an insurance product. Um, the program this is modeled after, after in Washington isn't financially sound yet. So there are a couple of reasons to pause. If you are on the left and you are one of those reasonable voices, those are a couple of reasons to pause. But let's look at how we're facing workforce challenges in Minnesota now. Uh, one of the privileges I had as I was on my campaign for governors visiting with employers. And let's talk about these is this is all employers. This just isn't businesses. This isn't just wealthy big corporations. This is the coffee shop. This is the school district. This is the county. But I went to this great manufacturing company and they were having trouble attracting workers of the caliber they wanted. So they built a childcare center and hired the best childcare workers they could find. And so you got six weeks of leave, but then your infant, and you, Becky, know how expensive infant childcare is, your infant could then be at work so that if you wanted to go and nurse or visit your child at lunch, you could do that. And so for $100 a week, you got subsidized care at work. That's how they became the employer of choice. When the COVID pandemic shut down schools, they brought in tutors and said, if you want your kids here, we'll help distance them. We'll make sure that you can still be at work. These are the kinds of things that employers are doing to attract talent in Minnesota. If you put in paid family leave, all of that goes away because here's the, the truth of the matter. Total compensation is what matters. Employers pay healthcare, they pay wages, they pay benefits, including vacation, including other forms of paid time off and all the payroll taxes, they only have so much money in that compensation bucket. And if you tell them part of that bucket is going to go to run a state bureaucracy, they're gonna say the buckets can't get bigger. And so they're just gonna reduce other forms of PTO. They're gonna increase the co-pays on healthcare so that that compensation bucket will simply be diverted to a state bureaucracy and really Let's go back to Minsure and how that didn't work. Do you really think this massive takeover of public benefits is going to roll out smoothly? Hey, come on. Senator, um, as I was hearing you hearing you talk, it reminded me about um, the importance of messaging and the discussion that goes on. You were a candidate for governor in 2022. I was incredibly hopeful that you were going to be the nominee because I think uh, our listeners were just treated with an example as to why your experience is so vast, your knowledge is, is deep, your understanding of the issues and your framing of them is based on real world experiences. Could you give a perspective right now of well, how you are viewing what's going on at the legislature through the lens of messaging and what suggestions you would have for Republicans in pushing back? Because one of the things that Becky and I have been talking about a lot um, is messaging. And I think one of the things our listeners just got for the for the last 10 minutes is a pretty good indication of how the what the message should be based on your answers. So I thought you could give some perspective on that. Sure. And storytelling is really important. You need to connect with people where they're at. So go boots on the ground into the places where you want to impact people's lives. One of the great privileges of being chair is you get invited all over the state. So during the pandemic, I knew the stories of nurses. I knew the stories of nursing home administrators. I knew the stories of patients. And so every decision I made could be put through those lenses. But it also lets you then reach people on the other side of the aisle who have that shared experience. 
and it helps you reach more broadly into the voting population because you've shared their experience. So Republicans have to get better at storytelling. They have to go places that are uncomfortable. And frankly, it's great that we have an Oxford-type debating society. I love that we have people who are smart enough to do that. But it turns people off when you don't care about what happens in their life. Like, we can talk about P&L all day long. I can talk about the compensation bucket. We need to know that that's there. But what really matters is the story of what employers are doing and how pay family leave will upend it. What really matters is what's going on in our hospitals and how putting a nurse ratio bill enacted in law in Minnesota is going to disrupt care in our hospitals. So let's talk about what happens to patients when a nurse can say we're closing the emergency department. What happens to the family whose child is thinking about committing suicide and a nurse has said we can't take any more? One of the ongoing issues right now is with is mail, and I've, I'm sure you've seen the news about concerns they have about a series of legislative packages that are going to be pursued, that are being pursued, and Mayo has indicated that they may start to rethink some of their investment in this state based on that. What would you be doing as a legislator if you were there uh, to deal with the concerns of Mayo while simultaneously balancing some of the staffing needs from your perspective? Well, and workforce is going to be an ongoing issue in Minnesota. We can let's I don't want to say put a pin in it because that's kind of wonky, but let's get back to immigration because it's a conversation Republicans need to be open to. Um, we need to attract workforce to this state. But in this fight in particular, every person in Minnesota counts on a Mayo miracle. There isn't a family who doesn't know a neighbor who hasn't gone down there. My niece was just down there. I'm not going to disclose too much, but they did a top to bottom workup on her for something that she's been trying to get treated for three years. And finally, your doctor said, you need to go somewhere where an entire team can look at you at one time because we're playing whack-a-mole. So I would be talking about the Mayo miracle and how they manage a health system that does charity care, that reaches out into their community, that innovates for the next thing, not just medical devices, but the procedures. We have one of the greatest physicians in the entire world for doing neonatal, perinatal, actually, surgery for spinal fusion so that children aren't born with spina bifida. He's at the Mayo Clinic, and he's setting the bar for what other doctors in this state will do so that families will benefit not just at Mayo, but from Mayo. So with this situation, we saw the Mayo um, the, a, a Mayo executive send an email to Governor Walls and the legislature, legislature, legislative leaders. I'm sorry, um, saying that they are considering reconsidering their plans to invest here um, in Minnesota. That they say is four times the size of the investment in U.S. Bank Stadium. It's a 1.1 billion dollar project. Um, they say that because of these, if if these bills were basically to pass. Um, you either need to gut them or or we're we're moving elsewhere. Um, can you speak a little bit to maybe this the framework of of what's going on here and and how some of these tax policies and different policies being passed um, are maybe not attractive to to Mayo or or other businesses? Well, some of it is the way that they're going to manage costs in healthcare. They're going to set up a board that says you can't charge more than this. Mayo's a, a premier facility. 
and they get a lot of income from cash payers who come for that innovative care. They also have facilities in Florida and in Arizona. So if you're on a private jet, Mayo's just going to say, why don't you go to Phoenix or why don't you go to Jacksonville or United Arab Emirates or their opening facilities in London. Money and talent will move where it is best utilized. So that's sort of the wonky, not the Mayo story, but the reality is capital and talent move to where it's best utilized. And there are people at the legislature that do not understand. Talented doctors aren't going to stay here to have their hands tied by bureaucrats. The Mayo Clinic isn't going to spend money in a place where their hands are tied when it comes to innovation, whether in care provided or procedures and devices developed. They're not going to stay. And Mayo's the first one to stand up and say this, but there are other companies thinking it. When's the last time 3M expanded employment in this state? Now they're reducing employment. When's the last time one of our 15 Fortune 500 companies expanded employment in this state? Even small and mid-sized companies are saying, I'm going to go look for talent elsewhere. I'm going to expand. I talked Schwann, food processing facility. They went across the border to South Dakota. You know why? Because South Dakota said, we will make sure you have staff. We're going to set up a program at our community college, and we're going to make sure that people are trained to work in your facility, and we have better tax advantage. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be up and running in half the time you would be in Minnesota. They're already making these decisions, and the decisions that are happening at the legislature right now will make it easier for people to choose something else. So do you think... I mean, have we have we hit bottom here or, or with with our policies driving, you know, talent and, and companies away or, or what's it going to take for for folks who are making and creating these laws to to wake up and, and realize that we're not um, creating a welcoming, stable environment for for folks to stay or well, come? Let's just look at the Wall Street Journal. In the last couple of months, there was an article about how St. Paul has terrible potholes that aren't getting fixed. That was it, We made the Wall Street Journal for potholes and we made the Wall Street Journal for bad tax policy. So there are a whole bunch of people outside the state of Minnesota that remember George Floyd's murder and the riots that happened after. They know we have cold weather. Now they're gonna see we have terrible tax policy and we're not even doing core functions of government. Our test scores are falling, we have potholes in our roads, do you remember the mantra, happy to pay for a better Minnesota? Well, we're paying and we're not getting better. So at some point, centrist voters are going to have to say, I've got potholes. My neighbor got shot because he went out to his car because someone was trying to break into it. My kids don't feel safe at the U. I can't hire the people I need to hire. At some point, centrist voters are going to say to people in swing districts, to people in suburban districts, you lied to me. You told me when you raised my taxes, things were going to get better. Voters are going to have to call people out. And again, Republicans are going to have to get better at the message. Not the scary flamethrowing, you know, houses, they're coming for your houses. It's going to have to be the clear truth. 
truth. We have terrible reading scores in our minority communities, even though we spend in the top 20 for schools, and now it's going to go higher. The University of Minnesota is no longer considered a top-tier institution for many degrees, and they're going to have to fight to get their place back in the med school and engineering programs, and it's going to have to start with safety. We have to make Minnesota more welcoming. It's going to take voters, and frankly, Republicans are going to have to do a better job of messaging. Uh, August 13th, 1973, Wendy Anderson appeared on the cover of Time Magazine holding a fish and said the good life in Minnesota. Are those days behind us? Um, is are, 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 what, what do we need to do? Are those days behind us? And if they are, what can we do to put us back on the right track? Um, I think Minnesota has fundamentally changed since 1973, in some ways for the better, in some ways worse, um, which is easy to say, and that sounds very trite. But our work ethic and our innovation and this culture that says you can create things and grow things and we're going to have a great future as Minnesotans. Our school districts are going to meet the needs of kids across the state. We're failing at that. So I would start with a few things. Foundationally, better tax policy so that you welcome talent. Because if you're going to get paid a pretty good executive salary, why wouldn't you choose Texas or North Carolina? They're not going to punish you for being successful. Um, so change our tax policy so we're welcoming talent, so we're rewarding entrepreneurs, so that when you're ready to sell your business, you don't take the two years before and move to Florida so that all of your income is exempt. Um, change tax policy. Change education policy. I was a big fan of school choice because we need to get kids in front of teachers who teach them to read instead of protecting the systems that aren't teaching them to read. But foundationally, we're going to have to get literacy in our schools as the single highest priority, not political activism, but it needs to be literacy. Seven out of 10 people in prison for felonies can't read at the fourth grade level. So you can see the problem that mediocre education is causing Minnesota from the bottom up. Regulatory policy absolutely has to change. Um, you shouldn't feel threatened by your regulator. And there are a lot of businesses that are afraid of Minnesota regulators instead of being welcomed like the folks in South Dakota did for Schwann. One of the things I think that, that this interview has shown, which I've known over the years, but this interview has shown, is your ability to talk about issues in a way where you understand your audience and your ability to navigate those things. You talked a little bit uh, past in, in the pro earlier part of this interview about your relationship with your Democratic colleagues in the Senate. And can you talk for a minute about how you balance that partisanship? Because I think what our listeners, again, looking at the clock here, have also heard is your ability to be very sophisticated in terms of navigating messaging issues. But how did you balance your partisanship uh, and recognize you had a, you obviously had a duty to serve the state as an elected official. You're in leadership in the Senate. You're a committee chair, but you're also a partisan Republican. You obviously have earned the respect of your Democratic colleagues for your, your temperament and judgment. How did you balance that? And, and how do you know when to dial the partisanship up and dial it back? Um, be transparent and truthful, I think, are the two things that you should... Like, if you have to change your vote on something... Tell the author up front. If you're like, and it got to the point where Tony Laurie, who was, I would say, my nemesis, except we we still talk. Um, so obviously we weren't just um, on opposing sides. 
But I'd tell him, okay, so this is what's going to happen on the floor. He said, yes, that's kind of what I thought. And so you do some surprises, but, and it's not theater. I don't mean that in any way. You need to make clear points about where policies are wrong. You need to defend hard things in an honest way. You need to assume good in the other person. And I know that is really hard sometimes. So early lesson, um, Dave Thomasoni and Jim Metzen, who have now both passed, sat in front of me when I was a freshman. And the Health and Human Services budget was up, and they were saying terrible things, and people will die, and all of this. And I walked into the retiring room, and at this point, um, Dave Thomasoni went over and got me a piece of cake. He put a fork in it, and he said, "If you're going to fight that hard, you're going to need to eat more." <laughs> so, um, great story. There are, there are places where you set aside the partisanship. It can't all be partisan. And Rath, who's tax chair, um, taught me a lot. She can be a little bit gruff, but she always comes to you with, Senator, your bill actually has a fiscal note. It's $1,500. You didn't go to the rules committee because you have legislative leadership involved. So I'm going to make this motion. Don't do this again. Okay. Thank you. Made the motion. We dealt with it. It wasn't, she didn't tell me I was stupid. She was like, you're a freshman. You screwed up. Somebody should have told you. Um, but having her as tax chair, while she's going to set taxes much higher than I would ever set them, she's going to be thoughtful about the impact of those taxes. And so she's going to get pressure from activists to say, don't be thoughtful. And she's going to have to push back on them. And so I think that kind of model where you know what you know what the outcome is going to be and you can talk about those outcomes without being partisan and say, we disagree. You're going to have taxes too high, but she's going to do it in a way that is truthful and transparent and based in fact. I think that is really important to create a nonpartisan discussion. Um, I've been in some really tough negotiations. But when you come out of it, you have to have the respect of the other person. You can't degrade them as human beings. You attack the ideas that they're trying to bring forward. You point out why they're wrong. You don't get to throw your sucker in the sand and say, forget it, we're done. Because the budget has to get done. This kind of negotiating is different than business negotiations. Because you can walk away from a contract. You don't get to walk away from a budget. Um, I want to stick on kind of this messaging side of things. Um, you know, Michael and I have made our our stances on um, President Trump pretty well known, and I'm not asking you to to out yourself on that. But I, in this environment of 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 a Trump, you know, MAGA, you know, Republican kind of takeover, um, how would you recommend if you're speaking to an upcoming candidate or a new legislator legislator who's hitting the campaign trail again and you know, a year and a half, how would you recommend they kind of navigate this while staying focused, not, you know, being detracted by the, you know, Trump drama of the day or some, some distraction, you know, where, yes, we want to fight the fight on everything, but not everything's a hill to die on. We need to stay focused on priorities. And, and how would you kind of, you know, what advice would you give for someone um, to, to, you know, keep your eye on the finish line and, and really work so we can hopefully, you know, avoid any gaffes and, and turn Minnesota red. And so know what the most important issues are to the audience you're speaking to. 
there there are going to be a bunch of farmers who probably don't care about education choice. Talk to them about regulatory and tax reform. Okay, so know five things. Most candidates can keep five things at front of mind. And then pick two or three that work for the audience you're in front of. And when you get asked a question, and this is the secret, if you don't want to answer it, acknowledge and then say something respectful about what that person has asked. Give them some answer, but then pivot to a story or something that you really want them to remember about you and your policies. And particularly like Donald Trump, if you're a Republican who admires Donald Trump's policies but didn't like the way he behaved on Twitter or the way he treated some people, then say, I respect that he cut 63,000 pages from the CFR. We need to reduce regulation if we're going to have businesses coming back here to the United States. And in Minnesota, this is what I do on regulatory reform. Take that opportunity to pivot to a place where you get to tell something about you instead of making it about someone you can't control. You never get to control who the president is. So top of the ticket, you just hope they don't hurt you. I think that's absolutely incredible. And I, I have to, you know, uh, full disclosure here, this is one of this interview with 30 minutes in is is exactly why I was on the Benson Trump Benson bandwagon as well. And I was had the privilege of of working with you and, and launching your governor's run. I um, we would be in a much better place right now with you um, as our executive. So I, I appreciate that because you're right. I mean, this is one thing we've talked, you know, with a number of different guests about is the ability to we're not changing our message. We're not lying about who we are. There is a way to remain authentic by saying something different or focusing on different topics to different audiences. You're not lying. You're not changing who you are and what you believe. It is simply targeting, like you said, farmers aren't going to care about education choice. That's or They might care about it. It is not what they're coming to hear Either they're elected a leader or a potential candidate, tell them about how their life, how their day-to-day -day is going to get better. That's exactly right. And we need to be able to have hard conversations. I really admire the way Nikki Haley handled the abortion question. She just laid it right out there. And that's going to be a hard thing for Republicans to talk about going forward, particularly in Minnesota. So let's listen to what some of those more experienced voices had, what they said. And round out our message. Instead of keeping the message that didn't work, let's round out and move forward. On immigration, uh, you know, Title 42 is being lifted, and there's a flood of immigrants at the border. How are Republicans going to deal with illegal immigration, but acknowledge that immigrants help build the strength of this country? And frankly, we need a talented workforce, and immigrants are part of that solution. We can't stay in these camps fighting all the time. We will never find solutions in that place. And our voters need to be educated, listened to. And first, they need to know you care about what happens in their life. That's the most important thing a candidate can do. First, before we close out, is there anything else you want to talk about, discuss what's going on at the legislature or in the national arena? Well, and I periodically miss the legislature for the most part. I've been able to reconnect with family and friends. And I took some, I, I, okay, to my friends in the legislature, I took a vacation 
during deadline week. That has never wow. happened before. And my family's like, how can you do this? I'm like, remember, I don't have that job anymore. Um, so I do, I do pay attention. And when people in the legislature call for my advice, I try to be as candid and clear and give them um, direction. But um, I don't miss it enough to go back. I'm ready to do work in public policy. You know, I have I have strong skills in negotiating and policy development and sitting around a table with people who are supposed to hate each other and finding a way to get them to come to a solution. And so I want to be able to use those skills. Obviously, I love healthcare. Um, that would be the privilege of getting to continue to work in Minnesota's healthcare environment, developing policy and strategy would be um, high on my bucket list. But I ran for governor and I got to see the whole state and I got to think way outside the healthcare bucket. And so any place I can do policy and strategy, that's what I'm going to be aiming for. Well, um, Senator, I mean, I think this podcast is a clear indication uh, in your interview and your your depth of knowledge and experience is why your voice is needed in this state at, at numerous levels, whether it's partisan office, whether it's uh, policy or leadership. I hope uh, that Minnesota gets to have more experiences with you in a leadership capacity because your leadership is needed. Um, Becky and I are, are Republicans, and we obviously would would love to see a run for office again someday. But but hopefully there there's uh, as as you transition out of the legislature and do more policy. I just hope your voice continues to be heard because it's it's you're so you're just wicked smart and you understand the issues. And it's critically important that we have smart Republicans and, and good Minnesotans, people who have a balanced understanding of the state out there messaging and trying to lead the state in the right direction. Uh, your voice is needed. Your leadership is needed. And, and, and I hope uh, that we, we hear more of you, uh, more of you down the road. Well, and I appreciate this opportunity. I, I grew up here. My family farms here. I raised my kids here. I'd love my kids to choose Minnesota because it's a place they want to raise their family. And so I'll keep doing that fight as long as I have the opportunity. Great. Well, we hope this wasn't we hope this wasn't too painful. And we hope that you'd consider coming back at a later point. Oh, this was a piece of cake. And I'd be happy to come back. I love I love talking with bright people in depth, long term conversations. Um, they're my jam. Love to be back. Wonderful. Fantastic. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, bye-bye. Well, I think you and I both mentioned that we were supportive of, of Senator Benson and her run for governor. And wow, did she show us exactly why. I mean, it is just incredible to hear her be empathetic, be show the caring side of Republicans, be able to list and regurgitate facts and and tie it back to Minnesota, everything that's going on, and just really show her depth of knowledge on on all of these issues and why it should matter to the average Minnesotan and and not just, I mean, to be able to talk about paid family leave and tell the story she did about the the manufacturer and the company with the private daycare and how that is the buckets don't get bigger. She's right. I mean, it. I was just blown away per usual. It was a fantastic interview. And, and um, one of the things that was so, it was simultaneously frustrating to hear her talk and also uh, very rewarding to hear her talk. It's frustrating because I'm challenged sometimes by um, the state of the party and where it's at. And, and I think to myself that um, the talents that she brought to the Republican side in the race for governor were not 
uh, I think rewarded. I, I, and I think that's, fr- that's very frustrating to me. I'm getting much more of a, I'm, I'm always an internal optimist, but I take somewhat of a hard jet on our, our party activists sometime. Uh, she's incredibly talented. She has tremendous wisdom, knowledge, experience, depth of understanding issues. Uh, she is sharp as a tack. Um, and she would be a credible candidate for statewide office at any level, but certainly running for governor. And to think that um, that what we ended up as the Republican nominee, in contrast to what we just heard with Michelle Benson, uh, is incredibly frustrating. But she is, I think there is ample opportunity for her in numerous leadership capacities in the state, whether it's uh, policy, whether it's running as a candidate again, whether it's some uh, type of think tank, uh, boards, other type of stuff. That's the that's what's what's it's the advantage that that she has over other people. There's there's people that just can run for office. Um, Senator Benson can, has the opportunity to serve this state in multiple capacities. Um, as partisans, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we probably hope that she may run for office again someday. And so, and particularly in a general election, uh, Minnesotans could see the benefit uh, and wisdom that comes along with her leadership. That would be great. Um, but whatever she does, she's going to succeed in it. And, and, but I, what's so important, I'm glad we were able to do this interview with her, albeit we were supposed to do it last week, but a week late, her voice is needed in the discussion. And if we can provide that platform on the podcast, whether it's Democrats or Republicans that we think are thoughtful to have to come on the podcast and, and, and offer and, and talk about stuff that's important to do. And I think what we've, what we, what we heard in this interview with Senator Benson is she is a voice. She is someone you're going to want to talk to about issues. You know, and I think for me, one of the things, a lot of times when you look at candidates for office, you can pretty quickly tell if there is somebody who just wants to, you know, get the fame and accolades and and the power that comes from a physician and somebody that truly cares. I think that Benson falls in the latter. She is somebody who ran for office because not because she wants power and fame and fortune or whatever that might come from something like that, but because she knows that she has the experience and wisdom to make things better for Minnesota families and Minnesota businesses. She cares about what happens to individuals and schools and hospitals and and everybody across the board. And I think that empathy really, and that, you know, her, her ability to care and to show that through her storytelling really came through. And I was very glad to hear that members of the legislature, I can't get it straight today. Members of the legislature have been reaching out to her to get get some advice and insight um, while they're going through some of these negotiations and end of session things. I, I think that is great. I think that I hope that continues. And, I, and I'm glad that she is there to be a resource for the members currently up at the Capitol. Do you think she runs for office again someday? I, I think so. I would love her to. She's very young still. She has a lot of time ahead of her. Um, I think that um, she's obviously, you know, she's got um, some, she's got three kids. She's, you know, enjoying spending time with her family. I think I would not be surprised if I see her, you know, go over to the private sector or or some sort of um, policymaking arm and, and working there for, you know, a handful of years or two um, and then coming back over. But um, I, I don't think we've seen the last of her. I think that she truly, you know, wants to make a difference. And, and I hope I'm hopeful that she gets the opportunity to. 
I would agree. And one of the things I thought was so interesting, an interesting dynamic and important dynamic for Republicans here is how she talked about the issues. She did not approach them from the Obviously, Senator Benson is partisan. Uh, and and it, we seek partisan office in this state. And, and so, you know, people identify and just Democrats and Republicans and run. But she talked about the issues, not necessarily from the partisan perspective, for, from a good policy standpoint. Her, her, her lens and view uh, of where she put her partisanship was somewhat behind, but she approached the issues from partisanship. She talked about solutions. She talked about every conversation, both in forecasting some difficulties that would come down the road that might be coming down the road for Minnesota. thought she made some incredibly astute points about investment in companies, what we can expect to see here if some of these policies continue. But overall, I think she is a good brand for the Republican message in this state. And I, I would have a very difficult time Thinking that uh, one of the one of the voters that we've talked about, suburban voters, fe suburban female voters, that what her message that she articulated that she re would not resonate with her. I think it would. I think it would very very good. And I think she has a good. Her storytelling is just pitch perfect. Her ability to connect with people. If you look at her background in terms of her experience, uh, uh, personal experiences, life experiences, both pr professional and in the legislature. Um, she should be on the short list of any Republican candidate or any Republican kind of search committee that's looking for candidates to run statewide. But she shouldn't be pigeonholed just as a candidate. She's got tremendous experience in other facets of life. And, and uh, I'm glad we were able to do this interview with her and, and build up uh, the opportunity to speak with her again down the road, because whether it's it, whether whatever capacity she's in, uh, she's going to be. Um, part of a brain trust that we're going to want to connect and, and have on this show because she's just incredibly smart and talented. Absolutely. And the last thing, you know, I want to just kind of tie it back to our, our interview we did um, two weeks ago now with Elliot Engen um, and, and, his remarks talking about having those solutions and having answers and not just saying no. And and I think Benson showed exactly why that is the case. And, and, and additionally, as you mentioned, the storytelling, this is something I know we've talked about in the past, but I really think this is the way to connect with voters and the way to, you know, rhetoric is great, right? We all like the red meat, one size fits all, red tape, regulations. We all love the buzzwords that that we use um, a lot of times in, in you know, political writing or, or speak. But again, I'm going to go back to that that example that she said, I haven't heard those stories coming out of the Republican caucus about paid family leave. You know, to show that this is a company that is doing it themselves. They have taken it upon themselves, which is what we as Republicans want, right? We want individuals and companies and businesses to to take steps themselves so that government mandates aren't aren't necessary. Um, and this is one that that did that and provided all of these things. And that all will have to go away if they are forced to spend all of this extra money. It's not like they just have this, you know, a huge chunk of extra money to throw at the the new taxes that are going to be given to them, they're going to have to take some of these benefits away from from their workers. And, and that is going to be dramatically changing whether maybe a worker is able to continue to work there if their $100 a week childcare is no longer accessible. Because I can tell you as somebody who has an infant, mine is four times that um, every week. And that is something that not is, isn't just not... Uh, 
able to for for everybody to to do. And so, um, again, that storytelling. I hope that more Republican legislators and candidates take that uh, take heed of that and and start implementing something of that sort because that really is how you get out and win over the hearts and souls of of voters out there. Great points. Great points and a great way to cap it off. Thank you for your work in in getting her on and and let's get her back again. All right. Here's where where it's going to get ugly. It's going to get ugly right now. I'm ready. We're going to do topic. Where next topic is food fight with Broad Corbin Becky. Now, I'd like to point out something. Although we had we didn't record last week, uh, and I've been a, not as active on social media, I went back and looked. I don't believe um, we our, our previous food fight was on salty snacks. I don't believe anyone publicly agreed with your list. I in know. Fact, I, I in fact, I think multiple multiple people agreed with my list. Um, yes. Which is, I think, is I think was the right take. I think was the right take. <laughs> I think I feel good about that. Oh, well, I'm hopeful this week I can do a little bit better. I will say we had some folks that uh, wanted more specificity with some of our examples. And um, I think it's important to share. We're going broad at the front end. Yes. We will get down into, you know, top five favorite chips at some point and not just salty snacks. So stay tuned. Specifics are on their way. Yes, because we did salty snacks was the first one. The second one we're doing is just five candies. Candy. I think I think after this episode and when we when we're done recording, we should get a specific episode. We should do a specific one next week. Really get in to the nitty gritty because I think people really need to see more evidence of how bad your food takes are. Oh wow! So let's do um, let's do candies. So right. I did get I did get one, and this is just hilarious. And I, it's a really not hilarious, but it just it I appreciate. I appreciated the the dedication that this person sent me a DMM on. So when we're listing these, um, we're doing one one to five. Mm-hmm. This person wanted to make clear that one was our top, and we weren't going yeah. in reverse order. So I just want to be clear. My number one is if it would be if this was the Olympics, it would be the gold medal. So I my number one is my top pick. Okay. All right. So you- why don't we reverse it this week? Since my take's probably going to be better, I'll go first. So this is five candy. So let's be clear, five candies. So the reason I, so five candies. So you're going, this is, you're in a gas station. You're just grabbing candy. So this isn't like, this is five candies. Are we clear about that? Do you need need time to adjust your list then based on that that answer? Are you ready? I don't think so. I think I'm ready. So this is, I'm going to start off. 100 grand bar. 100 grand bar. Um, is number one on me. Uh, com- combination of reasons. Number one, um, it's great. You don't see it everywhere. Um, I love it. Uh, I also, um, it's become much more of a Halloween novelty. When I was growing up, uh, uh, it was, you know, Milky Way and Three Musketeers were kind of the big ones. Didn't have the, like the Kits at Kit Kat size bars. Uh, but my kids, when they go out trick-or-treating, I always take their hundred gram bars. Uh, that's that's the that's the one that I like to take. The hundred gram bars are great. So first one is is the hundred gram bar. Are you familiar with that candy? Uh, yes, I am. Thank you very much. And okay. I have to, uh, man, this kind of eats me away inside. My number one is hundred gram bar. Come on, no way. Are you serious? Kind of chewy. It's got a little crunch in there. Those no little Halloween ones are the 
best. I mean, come on. What are the odds? Well, what we do know is uh, at least you're going to get some positive feedback on your list this week based just on that. Okay. I feel like before we go on to number two, I just have to give – because, I, of course, I always have to have some sort of explanation, right? Yeah. Um, I don't have a ton of uh, – a huge sweet tooth. Um, while I was pregnant, that changed, and I had a huge, huge sweet tooth. My husband, like – could eat candy for three meals a day. Um, and so it is always around and and I still have a little lingering. Um, but, you know, those bite-sized ones, that's my jam because I can just have one. But I'm, I'm with you. Man, that hundred grand. Did that's not amazing. expect that. That's great. I'm really glad I went first. Uh, number two, Kit Kat. Mm. Kit Kat. Um, that uh, Kit Kat is just a, a classic. Uh, it comes in a variety of forms. Um, I'm, by the way, I'll, uh, I'll specify, but this is just straight Kit Kat. None of this fancy white chocolate, blueberry, whatever it is. Just a straight Kit Kat. I love it. It's it's a go-to uh, for sticks. Uh, eat them one at a time. You don't bite into it. Um, I'm a big Kit Kat fan. Now, are you uh, a fan of putting the Kit Kat in the freezer for a little bit? Have you ever done that? Sometimes. Sometimes yeah. um, a nice little I, summer treat, a nice little reward at the end of the end of the day. But yeah, by the way, I should also disclose, I am not a huge candy person. So, um, so I, uh, my list is going to be somewhat interesting um, uh, based on kind of the variety that you'll see. I'm not a huge candy person, but, um, but these, these ones that made the list, I'm very passionate about. I like it. All right, number um, two for you. My number two is is again largely because I, I prefer salty over sweet. Um, I go with the take five. You got that pretzel in there, the chocolate, the peanut butter. Ooh, salty sweet. What I have to Google. What Look on your face, man. Is that like an energy bar? You've not had a take five? No. Ugh. The first thing that comes is, is the first things that come up is take five oil change. Are you sure you're you sure you're naming it right? Oh, here it is. Take five. The five layer bar made with chocolate pretzels, peanut butter, caramel, and peanuts. That's way too much. Oh my gosh, it's delicious. You got all the salty and the sweet. Take Come five. On, that, that's your number two. That's my number two. Okay. My number three, Charleston Chew Vanilla. Okay, now you're showing your age here. Charleston. What is that? <laughs> Charleston Chew Vanilla. Um, it's they fantastic. Still? They still make those still. Yes. Charleston chew vanilla, both. Now here's the thing. Let me just also show my age. Uh, they make the long bar. Uh, they also, um, make like a, they, like the little mini ones that you can have at, uh, for like movie theater stuff. I love Charleston shoes. They're fantastic. Charleston shoes come out in three different flavors, chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. Um, I'm a fan of the vanilla. Uh, my next one would be strawberry. And then it would be would be then would be chocolate. Um, but I'm gonna go Charleston Chew. And uh, tip of the cap to you for the agent salt. That was a nice work. <laughs> uh, my number three um, is is you know specific to Easter. I love me some of the Easter Starburst jelly beans. Really? Oh yeah, those tart little red ones. Yep. So you're a you're a jelly bean. So you're a, not a Jelly Belly. You're a Starburst jelly. Yeah, Jelly Belly, that that's too much for me. You, you like reach in there and you're going to get like a, you know, a, a sweet one next to a popcorn. Ain't nobody got time for that. No. My number four is traditional. I'm going Milky Way. Mm. Milky Way. Um, when I was a kid, as I said, Halloween, 
um, get the little fun size bars. Um, the when I was a kid growing up, um, the Milky Ways were were my favorite. So I went with Milky Ways as my as my number four. How about you? I feel like, I feel like the Milky Way is just kind of a poor man Snickers. You got to have those peanuts in there. I'm not a, a big nut fan. Mm, all right, uh, my number poor four. Man's, poor man <laughs> Snickers. Wow. Uh, my number four is Reese's peanut butter cups. I mean, the ultimate combo: chocolate and peanut butter. Interesting. Uh, what about where does Reese's pieces fall into play? I mean, they're okay. The okay. candy coating gets in the way. Um, it's interesting. Okay, my number five is going to be somewhat controversial because um, if you'll notice from my top four, what I f- felt the need to do is that I f- I ne- felt the need that I needed to include a fruit-based confectioner, confectionery, uh, piece of candy. And so um, I decided to pick a, a specific category. I could have gone all five, cho- all five chocolate candy, but I went with Starburst. So Starburst is number five. So if I need a fruit, if I'm looking for a fruit-based candy. Now, what that means, though, is that I am very, if I'm in the candy aisle, the thing I will least likely get will be any type of fruit-based candy, like Skittles, nerds uh i although i do the i do like the occasional pop rocks because it's just like just like you know i'm just a kid that way so i love the pop rocks but starburst and let's be clear about starburst traditional starburst standard flavor no all berry no nothing and it's you got to get them all at the same time and it's i'll eat the lemons with the orange with the the cherry with the strawberry they're all All good Um, that's very similar uh to to how my household goes i'm i'm 90 percent chocolate Joe, my husband, is he's all about the the nerds and chewy sprees and and all of the, you know, my mom always has to make sure to have some chewy ones available or some fruity ones available for holidays for for him. So um I am rounding mine out, sticking with my chocolate. Um, butterfinger. Yum. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Butterfingers are delicious. I've never had a butterfinger. Nah. Never had a butterfinger. Oh my god, we're gonna have to have like a, a you know, I bring yeah. mine to you, you bring yours to me. Next time we're next time we, we do an episode, and we next time we do an episode uh, in person, um, I'll, I'll bring, uh, I'll find a Charleston chew. You can bring a bring a Butterfinger, and and um, I'll go to a museum and get a Charleston chew, so you can and, and have it, and you can bring a Butterfinger. <laughs> I just I'm not. Here's the thing about peanut butter. Um, I'm okay with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm okay with you know, a peanut butter sandwich, but I don't like peanut butter in a lot of the things that I eat. Mm. And so I'm kind of particular about it. Ice cream with apples. Oh. I love it oh. with everything. Oh, I will say um, Butterfinger, Butterfingers, you got to be warned. It just gets stuck in your teeth a little bit, but okay. it's worth it. So you're, um, you're, do, go ahead. Oh, I have one last thing because I had to do, you know, some some of my show prep for, for candies. Did you know, according to candystore.com, what is the most uh, the most popular Minnesota Halloween candy? Guess. It's not uh, one any of us we mentioned. I'll give you two guesses. M and M's. Nope. Um, uh, salted nut roll. No, hot tamales. Oh come on! What Minnesotans don't like spice, and that's going to be the most popular candy. What's your source on that? Candystore.com. I'll send you. Candystore. Okay, right. You got to share. You have to share that link. I think that would be surprising. I uh, have to share that link in your Twitter feed. That's going to be very surprising for a lot of our listeners. Hot tamales. Yeah, this right. Is terrible. 
That's just terrible. Uh, that that uh, cinnamon-based candy does nothing for me. Uh, I mean, I'll take them. I will definitely enjoy them if they're in front of me. No other choice. But no, I'm I fall into the classic Minnesota, uh, you know, non-spice. Sometimes ketchup is too spicy for me. Oh, come so, on. Yeah. All right. Here's your favorite section: tweets of the week. Ready for your tweet of the week? I'm ready. Am I gonna cry? No, I mean, I haven't gone deep in a very long time. Since you were repeatedly warned, or after previously debated uh, episodes of uh, your Tweet of the Week, which, which let us all cry and have emotional breakdown. But go ahead. Give us your yeah, give us your Tweet well, of the Week. I will push mine out on social because it is a little more visual, which I am now realizing is not the best choice for a podcast, you know, um, but it is um, a tweet by a DC comms director. Um, it said Washingtonian or Wash Probs. So Washingtonian Probs, which is a funny, you know, DC Twitter account, tweeted a picture of King Charles with his two scepters from the coronation this week um, and said, caption this and her tweet says com staffer when they when their release gets approved with no edits and as a former com staffer i believe you could probably appreciate when you get the sign off and say this is good no edits send it out man you feel like you just got crown king so that is my tweet of the week well i'm gonna be a little more personal this week and thank a, an anonymous twitter account by bug in my eye, if you can believe it, that is the actual Twitter account. Bug in my eye. The Twitter handle is some guy, but it's the you, the the handle is bug in my eye. He was incredibly helpful, along with Jeff Kolb, in releasing some information about the vehicle that hit me. And some guy, bug in my eye, did a fantastic analysis on the potential of the vehicle that was involved in the hit and run. And did some amazing online sleuthing and research. And I wanted to give him a shout out and appreciation for his work. I also want to say a thank you to everyone on social media for the role that they helped played in raising awareness on the crash. I also want to take a moment to also remind people about interview I did that this week with WCCO about Apple Watches and the importance of Apple Watches. Unfortunately, when I was hit, I was on the ground. I took a hard fall. Um, as a wearer of Apple Watches, the Apple Watch was helpful in terms of notifying, calling emergency services, calling 911 when I was on the ground and had difficulty getting up. My emergency contacts were notified. And so as much as um, I'm frustrated, it's kind of a awkward, or did a, a little bit of a difficult spot right now in the, in the aftermath of the hit and run. I always wanted to be try to be positive about some aspects of some things. I wanted people just to recognize the importance, if you have an Apple Watch, to have fall detection on, to have your emergency contacts on because it'll be very helpful in a situation that you may need. We all are active in various different ways, whether running, biking, doing things, and you might not know the circumstances by which you would need it. And it was something that I set up when I got my watch and never thought about again, but it was incredibly helpful in the aftermath of getting hit by a car and when you're struggling and disorientated and it, and it performed amazingly. And so I wanted to put a plug in for folks to watch that CBS story, but also to that WCCO story. But also if you have an Apple watch, set up that fall detection, add some, add some emergency contacts in. It can literally, as I said, at WCCO be a guardian angel in a circumstance when you need it. Are you an Apple watch wearer? Sure am. Got it on right now. That's fantastic. Yes. I am. Uh, it's, it's, I'll never leave home with, as they say, I'll never leave home without it. 
I, I think it's a great reminder, and uh, I certainly got mine all set up after after I heard the role it played for you. Thank you so much. Well, well, Becky, I want to just say again, thank you for your patience over the last uh, last uh, few uh, ten plus days dealing the aftermath. Thank you for your flexibility and in, in not recording last week, but playing uh, such a helpful role in getting this episode done. And and uh, thank you again for showing up, uh, not taking this opportunity to flee town. Uh, it was mm-hmm. nice to nice to be here. Happy to be, happy Great. to stay. Well, thank you again for for listening to The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. Uh, before we go, uh, reminder to show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen. You can also re- leave a review on our website at bbbreakpod.com. Our website, again, is bbbreakpod.com. We're also at Twitter at at bbbreakpod. Um, our show will return next week. Um, we said last week or that we said two weeks ago that we would return next week. And we didn't, but uh, we got a good system down now. We're going to do some remote recording. So we will, re- we will return next week. Can't so, wait. All right. Thank you everyone for, for being a part of the show and we'll see you next week. All right. See you later.